do it. All right, we're in Romans chapter 15, and, uh, and we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the text tonight. We'll see how far we can get. I'm not sure if we'll finish it. All right, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and God, we ask that you might teach us, give us understanding. I just thank you for this wonderful account of Paul's faithfulness tonight that we're going to read. And Lord, may you give us application so we can be faithful to do all that you command us. Lord, we love you. And, and you are truly our all in all. And I, I thank you so much also for the, this worship team tonight. Bless my soul so much seeing these young people up here worshiping and leading in worship. So thankful, God, for these individuals. And now we just pray that you might teach us through your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up in Romans 15 where Hidardo left off last week. And thank you, Hidardo, for that wonderful message. So we're going to pick up at verse 14. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause there. <clears throat> so Paul is, as he's speaking to the Roman church, the church in Rome, uh, I think it's important to understand that Paul has never actually visited Rome yet. And we're going to see tonight that his intention is to get to Rome, but, but he, he is not the one who planted the church there. He's heard about their faith, and in fact, what he's saying here. Now I'm coughing too. Uh, Well, I've been coughing. But what he's saying there is that um, he understands that these are mature Christians. Notice he says, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another or teach one another in the doctrine of God. So he recognizes that the church in Rome is able to do these things. So he points out that, hey, listen, I'm confident about your faith, about who you are, that you're mature believers But understand that I wrote to you some of these things more boldly on some of these points. And of course, that's referring back to what he's written in 14 and and 15 as he talked about bearing with one another, bearing with the weaker brother, uh, uh, ministering to each other. And the whole point is here is is he's speaking to them. He says that, listen, I'm fulfilling my calling as a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So I, I'm giving, I'm writing back to you. I understand that you're mature in your faith. I understand that you guys are able to handle the scriptures. But that I'm still writing to you because God has given me this calling to be a minister to the Gentiles. And notice that he says in verse 16 that um, the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What's he speaking about? Well, he's speaking about the fruit of Gentiles coming to Christ. That's the offering of the Gentiles. That, that uh, Going back to Romans 12, 1, be not conformed uh, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed that, then to be a living sacrifice to God. So that's what Paul is referring back to here, that these Gentiles now are becoming an acceptable sacrifice to God, that, that they are the offering to God, and they're sanctified, that work of the Holy Spirit is being done in them. But here's the application I want to pull out right away from these few verses. 
we should never approach the Word of God as, oh, that's simple teaching. I've already heard it before. But rather, every time, even if it be simple teaching, we should ask ourselves, Lord, what can I learn? Because sometimes, oftentimes, uh, sometimes we ignore the simple things and we get in bad patterns. And so when we read through simple texts or simple teachings, just as Paul is uh, admonishing or, or uh, writing these things to Rome, uh, we should say, oh yeah, you know what, Lord? By way of reminder, I thank you that you've given this to me and, uh, and accept it fully. And so, so we get to verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, I love Paul's heart here. Paul says, listen, I'm not going to boast in anything in Paul. I'm going to glory in everything Christ has done. And, and that's totally okay to do, to, to recognize the work of Christ in, the, in, in your ministry, in your life, and to, 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 to glory in that, to say, look at what God has brought about. I, I know that the movie, The Jesus Revolution, has just come out. It came out while I was gone. Uh, my daughter went and saw it with the youth group and really impacted her. I'm excited to see it too. And, uh, and it's, it's, it was a special time. And, of course, the movie is about a special time in the history of Calvary Chapel. But um, one of the things that Chuck always repeated over and over was what God has wrought. Of course, he loved using that King James English. But this is what God has done. Chuck over and over would speak about that because when you listen to Chuck, when he talked about Calvary Chapel, he was looking forward to pastoring a 300-person church. That's what he wanted to pastor, just a church with about 300 people. He, he was like, that would be a great church. A pastor, I'm here next to the beach, I can surf, and uh, this would be a great place to pastor. But of course, God had different plans. And, and he built Calvary Chapel up into a, a movement uh, of people coming to Christ. And during that time with that beautiful revival that was happening across the U.S., the Jesus People Movement, it was really amazing. And over and over, Chuck would say, Look at what God has done. And he was just glorying in, in the work of Jesus Christ. And that's really the heart of Paul here. The, I'm not going to dare to speak anything about me. These, these are things that Christ um, has done. And uh, in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Now, I want to say this about Paul. Because oftentimes we look at someone like Paul or the disciples and we go, man, I would love to have a ministry like them. But um, I, don't, I don't think we really realize the sacrifices that they made to have this ministry. They were fully devoted to, to the work of the gospel, fully given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you read the events, the accounts of Paul's uh, ministry, yeah, we see a marvelous miracles happening, but we see a man that has completely given himself over to Christ and the work of reaching the lost, the Gentiles, that he might bring the gospel to them. And we see him sacrificing everything that they might know Christ. And uh, I think sometimes we just see the miracles or the movement, 
And we go, wow, I want to be successful like Paul. But we don't see that, we don't recognize that, no, no, Paul was successful because he submitted himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had given everything over to the Lord Jesus Christ and was willing to give it all up, all the comforts, everything that we would like. Paul, Paul was a man who, who just went for it, giving himself over fully to the calling that Jesus had called him to. And so he says that um, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that Jerusalem and roundabout Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. We read about some of these incredible uh, miracles, signs and wonders that the Spirit of God did through Paul. And that's one of the points that Paul is making is this isn't me this is God's work in me. And you can go back into the book of Acts and read about some of these things. Like, for instance, in Acts 14, 8 through 10, we read, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who never walked. The man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. It was a beautiful miracle. Paul sees this man looking at him, and Paul, by the Spirit, says, that man has faith to, to be healed. Now, I would love to, to have that recognition. No, you have faith to be healed. Stand up and walk. But with that, what happened next was more interesting. They stoned Paul and Barnabas, and or they dragged them outside the city and stoned them, and they thought they were dead and left them there. Uh, and, but Paul and Barnabas dusted themselves off and went back in. <laughs> I mean, that was a part of the signs and wonders. Acts 19, 11 and 12, we read of Paul in Ephesus, and as he was there doing ministry in, in Ephesus, we read, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. That's incredible. People just took, like, oh, man, there's Paul's sweat rag. Let me grab hold of that. Take it over to the sick person. Be healed. Man, he's healed. But notice that the text says unusual. Luke records unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. This wasn't the normal. This was the unusual. But that God did this through Paul. But why did God do this through Paul? so that the gospel of Christ would be fully preached. Look at what Paul says. Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum. Illyricum we never read about in the book of Acts, but Illyricum would be modern-day Montenegro, which was previously Yugoslavia. Uh, and so now today it's Kosovo, Montenegro, and there's uh, a couple other countries up there. Um, but that's above Macedonia. So at some point, Paul, while he was up in Macedonia, he said, hey, those people are unreached. I'm going to go up there. And he went up there and he preached the gospel up in Illyricum. But that was what Paul did. He was faithful with the gospel wherever he went. Fully preached the gospel. John Walverd writes, anything Paul achieved <coughs> that was worthy of praise had God's grace as its source. Jesus Christ as its motivation and goal and the Holy Spirit as its energy. It was all about God, God working through the ministry of Paul. So Paul says, I, I'm, I'm not going to glory in myself. 
These things are God. And um, we go on in verse 20. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Now, verse 21, Paul is quoting the latter half of Isaiah 52, 15. And he's telling us that this is the fulfillment of that prophecy that to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand that, that God was prophesying through the mouth of Isaiah that the Gentiles would receive salvation through the Jews. Now, that's an important point. We're going to call back to that in just a moment. But let me back up to verse 20. Paul said, I made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. I think this verse is often misinterpreted. In fact, I, I've, I've heard it misinterpreted in Calvary Chapel circles, sadly. In fact, just uh, the church plant that we're supporting up in uh, Meridian, Idaho, uh, Marty was telling me that he's had a pastor up there quote that to him, saying that you shouldn't be planting a church here because you're, you, there's already a Calvary Chapel in this area. Like, there's... Not, not, there's too many people, right? Like, we, we don't need, we only need one Calvary Chapel. And, and that is a total misinterpretation of this verse. Paul had a pioneer spirit to him. Paul loved going where no one has gone. He loved bringing the gospel to those places where no one has heard. And, and he loved taking that. And there are, there are individuals within the church that have that pioneer spirit. Man, I want to be in the front lines I want to be taking the gospel and tilling the hard ground. I want to be sharing it with those who have never heard. And, and uh, those, that's part of that pioneer spirit of the gospel. And, uh, and that's really what Paul is saying is I had, he had no desire. He wasn't saying don't, don't have any more than one church. I mean, think about the city of Orange. Uh, I think there's 150,000 people in the city of Orange. And I love the fact that there's a lot of churches in the city of Orange. In fact, I wish there were more. Because they can't all fit in this room. Of course, on Sunday nights we have lots of room. But, but uh, Sunday morning we don't have enough room. And we certainly can't fit them all here. In fact, I, I bet you that there are not enough seats in all the churches in the city of Orange to fit everybody in the city of Orange. Uh, I, I just don't think there are. <clears throat> and so I, certainly we don't want to plant a church in the parking lot of another church. That doesn't make sense. But... Um, but we, we don't say, we wouldn't use this verse in that context of saying, hey, I claim this territory. That's not how the kingdom of God works. And so um, Paul's just saying, man, I, I, I loved preaching the gospel where people hadn't heard. And I got to admit, I identify with that spirit. I know God's called me to be a pastor here, but I love being on the front lines of the gospel. It's, it's a cool place to be. It, it's, it's a place where you you. you there's hardship there, um, but you see the power of God in a greater way, and it's pretty awesome. So it's, it, I've always said that uh, frontline missions is addicting. Why is it addicting? Not the hardship, but seeing the, mirror, the, the marvelous work of God. That's what's so addicting. Being in a place where you just got to trust the Lord <laughs> in every step. So it's a wonderful thing. But verse 22 says, for this reason I also have been much hindered uh, from coming to you, but no, now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. 
Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. I love this passage uh, because this passage is hopeful about something, but we know he fails. Uh, and and I, think, I think that's one of the things that I can identify so much with this pastor. Uh, sorry, with, with Paul and this passage. So he says, I, I've wanted to come to Rome, but I've been hindered. Why has he been hindered? Well, Paul's been hindered because he keeps finding places in Asia that need to hear the gospel. So as much as he tries to get over to Rome, he's like, oh, there's a new area. There's Illyricum. i got to get up to Illyricum and share the gospel there. And he's constantly finding new places that hadn't heard. But more than that, now he's thinking, okay, I'm desiring to come to you. Now he's writing the letter of Romans or to, to the Roman church in Corinth. And, and he's writing it right before he sells over to Jerusalem. He's, he's getting ready to sell over and make his way to Jerusalem. And he sends off this letter. But what he says here is, look, here's my plan. <clears throat> I, I want to go to Spain and share the gospel there. So I hope on my way to Spain, I stop by Rome and see you all, and uh, uh, you can help me on my way there by you, um, and I want to enjoy your company, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And uh, Paul will be some three, it'll be some three years until Paul actually arrives in Rome. You see, Paul is going to head to Jerusalem, he's going to bring an offering, which we'll read about in just a moment to the, the church in Jerusalem. And then it, in that three-year period, he's going to be arrested. He's going to avoid assassins. He's going to spend two years as a prisoner in Caesarea. He's going to be caught in a storm for 14 days. He's going to be shipwrecked on Malta for three months, bitten by a viper. Paul will finally arrive in Rome as a prisoner after walking 136 miles from the port city and he'll remain a prisoner there in Rome for two years. So the reality of God's plan was different from the hopeful plan of Paul. And, and Paul was a godly man. Paul was a man who was devoted to the Lord. And of course, on his way to Jerusalem, there were prophets who warned him about what was coming. But I, I want to say this. I think it's a really good thing for us to uh, desire plans and make plans, and but we also recognize that if the Lord wills it, because the Lord might have a totally different plan for us as he did for Paul. In fact, we don't know if Paul ever even made it to Spain. There, there's, there's only like uh, little bits. We can't see for sure that he made it there because he was in Rome, then he was released uh, for a, a few years, and he was released around 63 AD. And then uh, he did further missionary work, which we don't have a record of. And then he was imprisoned again in 65 AD. And finally, he was martyred in 66 AD. So that, that was the story of Paul uh, after writing this letter to the Roman church. So we don't know if he ever made it to Spain. Maybe he did. <clears throat> we don't know. But, uh, but here Paul says, look, these are my plans. This is what I'd love to do. But we'll see what happens. And of course, God had other plans for Paul. Verse 26, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia 
to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. This is a good teaching right here, these couple verses, <clears throat> because sometimes in the church we can get overly spiritual, and we can forget about material needs. Material needs are real. So the church in Jerusalem was suffering. They were enduring great persecution. Many had lost jobs for, because of Christ. They weren't welcome to work. The church was at this point in time uh, meeting underground. And of course, we know that when Paul actually finally gets there, he's, he's recognized at the temple, and that's when he's arrested after they try to beat him. But um, the church in Macedonia and Achaia are Gentiles, and they've heard about the suffering church from Paul in Jerusalem. So Paul says, listen, Macedonia and Achaia, uh, you, you need to give an offering to, to those in Jerusalem. Uh, and notice what he says there. He says, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, they now have a duty to minister to them in material things. The, the only reason why Macedonia and Achaia received the gospel was because the church in Jerusalem had supported the gospel going out. And so Paul says, look, they're suffering. Let's take an offering and send it back. And we do that today in our church. We hear about churches that are in need or, or areas uh, that are afflicted, and we often take a, a love offering and send that off. And so, but the whole idea here is that um, although the Gentiles received the spiritual things, there was a real material need in Jerusalem, and the Gentiles could meet that need. And sometimes the church can be overly spiritual. Oh, forget material things. No one needs material things. Let's focus on only the spiritual. And uh, here we learn that, no, the spiritual things are real needs, or the material things. Uh, the ch church in Jerusalem really needed to eat food. That was an important thing for them. They, they needed that help. And, and so Paul, in bringing that offering to them, was relieving some of that hardship of the suffering church in Jerusalem. And so here we can see that th those material ministries are just as important as the spiritual ones. Uh, they go hand in hand. And we don't want to start saying that, well, you know, it, it's, it's great that you support mission trips through offering, but, you know, if you were really spiritual, you would go. That's bogus. Listen, you do what God has called you to do. If God's called you to be a check writer, you be a check writer. Do it to the Lord. If God's called you to be a, 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 a goer, you be a goer. Whether you're a sinner or a goer, both are from God. And both are by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I love how we do things here in, the, in this church. I love that we just pray. We, 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 uh, we wait for God to meet the needs. We'll share about prayer needs. And if God puts it on, on someone's heart in the church to fulfill that need or meet that need, it happens. And it's, it's just a wonderful way of, of seeing the Lord work through his people and meeting the needs uh, all around the world, both here and there in the mission field. And so, verse 28, Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, sealed to them this fruit, that, that means um, uh, delivered this offering. Okay, that's, that's what he's saying. I shall go, <coughs> man, my voice, they gave out. 
probably shouldn't be drinking coffee. <clears throat> but I shall go by way of you to Spain. There it is again. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Listen, when I get there, I'm coming full in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's my whole goal, to get to you. And, and with the gospel of Christ, I want to bless you all. And so, um, so verse 30 says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. And so Paul, Paul here says, uh, here's something you can really do for me. Um, I, I really pray that you'll partner with me. Notice the word he says, strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Strive, uh, that, the, the word strive there is, has the idea of um, wrestling uh, or, or partnering, strive, uh, partnering with somebody in, in like a, a, a game, a race, or a task. You're enduring with them. You're, you're jumping into it. And uh, I think this is a good teaching for us because sometimes when we say, hey, please remember to pray for so-and-so missionary, or please remember to pray for so-and-so, we throw up a quick prayer and say, cool, it's done. But we're really not striving in prayer with those individuals. And, and I, I really believe this is a call of going back to the beginning of this chapter, a simple thing that we should all know we need to pray, right? We all, yeah, we need to pray if we're going to be people of faith. We need to uh, bring these requests before the throne of God. But here's the simple truth. Do we strive? Do we continually bring it before God? Will we commit to pray? I certainly appreciate that. I know that there are people in this church that strive in prayer for me, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, I know that the blessing that God gives to you through me is truly because of these people who are striving in prayer with me, partnering with me. Uh, because I'll tell you right now, my wife knows uh, every Sunday before I get up and preach, I go, oh, I don't know. I'm the most insecure person on the planet. And then, then after Sunday church, when I hear people go, oh, wow, that's so ministered to me, I go, wow, Lord, thank you. <laughs> you used this tool to teach others about you. And, um, and uh, so I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate those who strive with me. And I know our missionaries appreciate you striving in prayer with them. I just think about this. One of the things I always tell our missionaries it, when they have material needs, uh, they need support for something, I say, okay, we'll pray. And uh, Katie will put out a, uh, a prayer request in the newsletter. Sometimes we'll share about it from the pulpit. But the whole idea of that is I believe that those who strive in prayer will provide more for those missionaries or those workers of the gospel than any strategy we could ever come up with on our own than any fundraising strategy, anything like that. Uh, I've seen God provide in such incredible ways for our different workers around the globe and even for this church. It's just incredible when we put it into his hands. We were driving from, um, I, I was taking a group uh, of the STS leaders 
from Tel Aviv after we finished the Simply the Story workshop over to uh, Tiberias, and then I was going to drop them off and then return back to Tel Aviv to pick up Laura, Edwin, and Megan that night from the airport. I did a lot of driving. Uh, and uh, by the way, traffic in Israel is insane on the night before the Sabbath. Wow. It's like, uh, it's kind of spooky in a way. I saw buses swerving like sports cars. I was like, oh. <laughs> My wife would have been freaking out if she, <laughs> if she was with me. But anyway, um, so I was driving and... Um, as we were driving on the road, Butch, my friend, uh, he was in one of the pictures there. He has an eye patch. And uh, I love Butch. He's a pastor in Kentucky and uh, a worker at STS. And by the way, Butch is friends with the pastor who preached at the Asbury Church the night that the revival broke out. And the pastor was telling Butch, because Butch called him. He was like, what's going on? Because he was in Israel. And the pastor said, man, the most amazing thing. You guys all heard about the Asbury Revival, right? I, I'm assuming by now everyone's heard about it. Uh, and he said, the most amazing thing happened. Uh, I finished teaching, and then I said, hey, just turn, tell, uh, pray for each other, and share a testimony with each other. That was it. And then all of a sudden, this happened. And I loved it because it was totally a testimony of what God brought about, not about any preacher or anybody claiming these things. But anyway, I was driving Butch, going back to my story. I was driving Butch and uh, uh, Mike and his wife out to Tiberias and Henry. And uh, as we were driving, I noticed that these, there's these rolling hills on the way into to the Galilee area uh, between Tel Aviv and Galilee. And uh, I started seeing cattle on the hills. And uh, Butch says to me, hey, Dave, guess what? I said, what, Butch? My dad owns those cattle. I was like, oh, yeah? We go over the hill. It's like, what about this hill, Butch? Oh, yeah, that hill too. In fact, a thousand hills. <laughs> See, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are far greater than we ever could, could provide them on our own and in our own strategies. So what we can do is strive together in prayer, beseeching the throne of God, Asking God to provide in a way that is much more greater, powerful, and effective than we could ever do. Uh, and so P Paul says, strive with me. By the way, maybe you feel like your prayers aren't effective. And I want to encourage you in something. James 5.16. Uh, we're told, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And that's about sickness. But then, he, then James says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, just keep that up for a minute, Manny. The effective. Do you want effective prayer? Well, what, how do we get effective prayer? Well, it's fervent. It strives. It continues to come before the throne of God and bringing those requests before the throne of God. And notice, though, that it says prayer of a righteous man. You can put person in there. It's fine. Um, because it applies to both men and women. But righteous. I think a lot of times our prayers are ineffective because of our unholy actions. We submit ourselves to sinful deeds or attitudes, and then we want to go to God when we need something. And that's not what God has called us to. 
God has called us to righteousness, to holiness. And I'll tell you this, there's a secret of effective prayer. Committing ourselves to be righteous individuals. Bringing ourselves before, I know we're not going to be sinless, but we definitely don't have to submit ourselves to continual, habitual sin. And when we do sin, we confess that to the Lord because we want to remain righteous before him. And I, I recognize there, there's, there's the state of righteousness that we are in Christ, but we're talking about our ongoing living, the way we walk in Christ, that we don't walk in darkness. And, uh, and I believe that as we abide in him, as we, as we live in Christ, we're going to see more effective prayer that as we, we come before his throne and ask him for uh, his favor in these areas. So, so strive together with me in prayers that I may be delivered from those in Judea. Now, what happened? Was Paul delivered from those in Judea? Yes, he was. That was a trick question. Gotcha. Was he arrested? Yes. Was he assassinated? No. Was he taken to Caesarea? Yes. Did he preach the gospel to Felix? Yes. Did he have two years there in Caesarea where he was sharing? Yes. Was he then taken on a boat and shipwrecked and sharing the gospel with all those on Malta? Yes. Was he taken to Rome in two years sharing the gospel? And in Rome, he says, to, uh, in Rome, he says, those in Caesar's household greet you? That they've become believers as he was under house arrest? Yes. So, in a sense, yes, in, when he went to Judea, those who didn't love the Lord uh, impacted his life very much, but he was definitely delivered. There's no question about that. It just wasn't necessarily the way you and I would consider deliverance. We often think of deliverance as problem-free, right? That's what we, when we think of deliverance, we're like, I want to be happy, happy all the time, right? We don't think trials and, and, and tribulations, but Paul was absolutely delivered through all these things. And, and I think you can attribute that to these wonderful prayers of the church in Rome as they strive together with Paul. And so he says uh, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. When Paul landed at the harbor uh, south of Rome, as they were going toward Rome, we read in the book of Acts that the church in Rome actually came out to him. Uh, they, they came out and met him, and they walked with him back into Rome. And, and the way Paul was received in Rome was with great joy. It's almost like the way a, a general would be received as he enters into Rome uh, after a great victory. Paul was received by the church. Of course, Paul is coming in chains, but he's received by the church. Is wow, Paul is here with great joy. Paul got to meet these individuals in the church, just like he said. He got to be refreshed by them, together with them, and he won many for Christ while he was under arrest for those two years. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together in your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful always. And Lord, may, may the church, may our church be a refreshing church. Lord, may we encourage one another in the faith. Lord, may we just lift each other up in prayer. Lord, may we take your word seriously. 
Lord, I want to ask that you bless each and every one who came tonight. May you speak to their hearts. May you minister to their needs. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness toward us. Let us be a faithful church, holding fast to your word and the gospel. We pray your blessing on each and every one, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Christ has indeed risen from the grave. I was just there. He's not there. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I uh, spoiled it on the trip. I said, hey, guys, I know we're going into the tomb. Uh, just so you know, he's not there. He's risen. Okay. So may God bless you. May he keep you. May he be a shield about you. May he give you peace. Amen.